war in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePetro Show. Propane Plus. For heating and cooling, call Propane Plus today in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. In Rhode Island, Propane Plus number 401-885-4209. It's the Johnson family. It's Propane Plus, the leading full-service provider of propane to Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries, but they can service your entire heating, cooling system, and install any propane or natural gas appliances. Locations in East Greenwich and also in Rehoboth. Remember, Propane Plus is energy for everyone. It's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and also now it's renewable. Online at propaneplus.com, Propane Plus, heating and cooling. In Massachusetts, call the Rehoboth office, 508-252-3359, and in Rhode Island, 401 885-4209. You can depend on Propane Plus. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, dePietro.com. We've made it to Friday. It is Friday, April 22nd. This portion of our program brought to you by Rhode Island's number one garden center, PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center, officially open for the season. What a beautiful selection. You owe it to yourself. Take a ride and see Rhode Island's number one garden center. Pansy flats, pansy bags, hangers, bowls, assorted colors, tulips, hyacinthias, daffodils, hydrangeas. The colors available with the hydrangeas are just fantastic. Blue, white, pink. They carry many landscape materials, including screen loom, black, brown, hemlock, and mulch. Crushed Stone, they do have gift certificates available. They're open seven days a week. Look for them on Facebook, PR, Landscape Materials, and Garden Center. 3688 Quaker Lane in North Kingstown or PR Materials in Garden Center. Folks, Rhode Island's number one garden center. Again, they're open seven days a week. Today is a nice, sunny Friday. Good day to go out and visit them. Well, it is the John DePietro Show. And folks, I want to um, touch on something that I'm hearing more and more of. And that is that in uh, our friend uh, Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe, he writes about it, talks about it. I've heard about this. But when uh, last year, last March, when then Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee became Governor Dan McKee, he, uh, at the time, one of his early supporters, strong supporters, was the Mayor of Johnston, Mayor Joe Policina. Now, Mayor Joe Policina, he is um, highly revered and respected in the town his son is actually going to be running uh for mayor to replace him and mayor policina was a uh i i believe he was even the head of the transition and big proponent supporter of then lieutenant governor dan mckee who had just become governor dan mckee well now you know that was then this is now now it's late april and mayor policina the mayor johnston like some other individuals that were backing dan mckee uh i'd be interested to know what north providence mayor charlie lombardi thinks but dan mcgowan is reporting what i have heard and that is that mayor policina is uh has been at odds with governor mckee and is not uh as supportive of him as he may have been in the past and and is frankly is willing to come out and say that he feels he's moved too far to the left and a big part of this uh and i've interviewed Mayor Policina, I I like him. I respect him a lot. Um, But one of the things that he is focused on is it's it's almost become like an automatic with some of the Democrat Party, and that is granting licenses, driving licenses to illegals. And we know why. I think we know why, or you should know why, Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee wants to do it. That's why he has Sabina Matos as his lieutenant governor. He is looking to try to make inroads with the large hispanic latino voting block population and almost tries to you know when i've questioned him on that and questioned her on that they say that well you know it's good for the economy and uh and it's going to be safe for everyone when you step outside of politics and step outside of providence and Pawtucket and central falls the rest of the state is not on board with illegals getting a driver's license i can tell you the people in cranston the people in johnston uh, the people in Warwick, 
uh, other community, Lincoln, uh, the, the Smithfield, the, the rest of the state is not fully on board with this. There are many states that don't have this. And it's a really interesting development. And it's a significant development if with less than five months to go until the primary now for Governor Nikitim lose support from someone like Mayor Policino. One of the things with his announcement and uh, and Dan McGowan, to his credit, wrote about it was he speaks mayor was, you know, when he had his kickoff announcement, he had the mayor of Cranston there, Ken Hopkins. He had. And I think that's interesting now. And I would question Mayor Hopkins if he supports the driver's license to illegals. He said he kind of, you know, just went. He wasn't endorsing him, but just to show support. Um, the three coalitions, and even maybe even four with the mayor of Warwick, but that I would look for would be Hopkins, uh, the mayor of North Providence, Charlie Lombardi, Mayor Lombardi, and also Joe Policina. Those three, those are key areas. Cranston, uh, Johnston, North Providence, on whether or not Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee is going to survive this primary. And you're hearing this more and more that he's gone too far left. At this point, between his FBI probe that he's under and the fact that he can't do, and he's not doing a lot of interviews, he's just not doing interviews right now. Uh, he doesn't want to because he doesn't. Now, he does have some events today. He's doing an Earth Day event. Uh, and then he's doing, he's actually going to be, I believe, in North Providence for the, um, they're raising a flag to commemorate the uh, Armenian genocide. But he's not doing wide-ranging press conference. And this is with, you know, less than five months to go. So it's, 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 you know, there's still time, but I think that's an early indication. All you need is one. And I'll say this about the mayor of Johnston, Mayor Policina. He is not going to, at this point, at this stage in his life and his career, he's not going to suddenly start, you know, making deals, uh, supporting something. I don't think that he really, you know, doesn't have his heart in, doesn't believe, isn't fully on board with he he's gonna stick with what his core values are and as much as rhode island governor dan mckee and some of the progressive left because that's what that is that's really in a way the mckee team's way to try to fend off uh, an attack from the left from someone like anelli gorbea secretary of state gorbea or someone like that in order to try to lay claim to that vote the fact that <clears throat> Policina is speaking up i think you're going to start to see some other mayors speak up. And now there could start to be some cracks in the armor of Governor McKee. And I want to come back to, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, by the way, also, the situation at the prison, at the ACI, is ludicrous. I'm trying to get answers on that. I'm going back and forth to, by the way, I'm just also seeing a headline. Jaisal Correa set to report to federal prison today. Listen, it can happen. It absolutely can happen. But um, with the ACI, where you have completely unchecked power, they have a very powerful union. And the fact that you have correctional officers that because of overtime are going to make uh, somewhere, you know, north of $200,000 to $300,000 simply because that they don't, they haven't done an academy. They don't have the proper staffing. There's less people at the prison they let a lot of people go out early because of COVID at the ACI. So that isn't something that you can point to. So um, as far as, you know, Governor McKee, there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions. And something that's going to hurt him is the ability to answer things in real time. If you don't get to an issue, if you don't address something that kind of flames up, it you know, a small smoldering fire can become you know a real a total barn burner and and then it could be a full you know five alarm blaze if if you don't have the ability where you're not addressing things so a problem i think another problem for rhode island governor dan mckee is right now where he is with the press uh he has nowhere to really go to say hey i want to straighten out there's a story that's come out about this or there's a story that came out about that, and I want to address it and then put it into context, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't have that because he's low, completely laying low. He can't lay low forever. So he's doing a couple of events that are themed events. He's going to get some media. He's probably going to try to shy away. He doesn't want to answer anything 
about this uh, FBI probe that's going on him and his administration. But when, you know, when Attorney General, um, Attorney General Peter Narona comes out with his findings with the investigation into Bud Craddock of the DMV, when he comes out with his findings on Tony Silver, McKee's former chief of staff with that whole the uh, wetlands deal in Cumberland, he's going to want to react or he's going to be asked about it. And if he hasn't been dealing with the media, I think it's just going to compound it. Folks, on this Friday, and it's a sunny Friday, and it's supposed to be a nice weekend, you want to do some grilling, why not pop by Jay's and letter J, Jay's Broadway Appliance and TV, 47 Cedar Swamp Road, Route 5, Smithfield. You can drive right up. You deal directly to the owner. They're open Monday through Friday from 10 to 5. Saturday, you can make an appointment. But they have a tremendous selection on grills. And remember, you deal directly with the owner. They will match or beat any deal. Match or beat any deal. It's Jay's Broadway Appliance and TV. Stop it and see them. 47 Cedar Swamp Road, Route 5. Easy parking right there. Get out, walk in. Boom, you're immediately dealing with the owner. And again, grab yourself a beautiful grill as uh, grilling season is off to a great start. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. The problem with your heating system? Call R.E. Coogan Heating today, 401-732-6562. 24-hour emergency service, gas boiler, oil burner, Coogan Heating, 401-732-6562. They're helpful trustworthy reliable explore their services look for them on facebook and the website is recooganheating.com residential services as coogie says let us into your home don't fix it alone plumbing heating and cooling from winter to summer trained technicians provide 100 percent service one customer at a time from service calls maintenance agreements to installation re coogan heating proud to help residential customers and they pride themselves making customer service and satisfaction a top priority. Call them today. Now it's cold. It's going to remain cold. Call Coogan Heating today, 401-732-6562. It's Coogie. It's 24-hour emergency service. Hey, not long ago, our hot water tank gave out. What did I do? Did I panic? Did I try to fix it? I called Coogan Heating, 401-732-6562. Look for them on Facebook and then the website is recooganheating.com. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. Well, the other day I read great piece in the Wall Street Journal, and it has to do with the Biden Labor Board appointee seeks to abolish union elections to help in big labor. Wall Street Journal published it, brilliantly written, and the author of that joins us on the line right now. He is the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation president, and it is our friend Mark Mix. Hey, Mark, uh, first of all, congratulations on the piece in the Wall Street Journal. Well, thanks, John. You know, it's important we get the word out about what the Biden administration is doing with so many different issues in the air and taking attention away from all the things that the Biden people are doing behind the scenes. It's really important that we continue to watch and expose what they're up to. If you could uh, take us through a little bit how the uh, general counsel, Jennifer Abruzzo, how, what's exactly she's looking to do? Yeah, it really is an amazing piece of uh, of work by Jennifer Bruzzo. First of all, she's a former Communication Workers of America Union uh, special counsel. She was at the National Labor Relations Board for a long time, and then during the Trump year, she went back and was a special legal counsel for the one of the largest and most radical unions in the country. And then immediately upon uh, Biden getting elected and getting sworn in, 23 minutes into his administration, he immediately uh, uh, fired the sitting general counsel who had uh, 10, 10 and a half months left on his term, and it was the first time in, since the NLRB was formed that this had happened, that any president has fired the chief lawyer for an independent agency upon coming into office. So he had to do that because he wanted to get Jennifer Abruzzo into the general counsel's seat because the general counsel has unreviewable discretion when it comes to basically litigating labor uh, cases across the country. And Abruzzo is truly a radical when it comes to empowering union officials and giving them more power and more privilege to force more workers into unions. And what she's trying to do here is she says she, her intention is to protect the integrity of union elections. And basically how she's going to do that is by eliminating them. And what she's going to do is take the country back to a 1949 NLRB decision called Joy Silk 
Mills that basically established the notion that if there was any idea that a majority of workers favored unionization, that they would immediately be recognized and certified for purposes of bargaining with an employer. That precedent has been thrown out through and and defended, you know, opposed by numerous courts and numerous agencies going forward and saying that the employer has a right to to ask for a secret ballot election. If they're confronted with a union organizer who says, we've got a majority of the workers, the employer can say, I would like to have my employees vote by secret ballot election to prove, indeed, that there's a majority. Because oftentimes, union officials will go out and they will intimidate workers and coerce workers to sign cards. There are some workers that sign them voluntarily, no question about that. But generally, what we found here at the Right to Work Foundation is many workers have come to us saying, hey, look, they're out here getting these cards signed, and they're in one case down in Tennessee, they were giving away a amusement park tickets to people that would sign uh, union certification cards. And so what Abruzzo wants to do is go back to the standard where, look, the union says we've got a majority. The employer cannot request a secret ballot election. The only defense an employer had would be to have a good faith doubt that the majority wasn't true. And if that was the case, then maybe the NLRB would grant them an election. But otherwise, as soon as that 50% plus one card is presented, the union's now recognized, even though, John, 49% of the workers there might not even know that the union card check is going on or that the union's organizing. So it's really a radical proposal that gives dramatic new powers to organized labor officials. Folks, again, we're speaking with our friend Mark Mix. And Mark, what is the design here? Is this to try to give labor unions uh, even more of an advantage or go back to the old ways of how they would do business? What, what's what's the what's the, the motivation behind this? Yeah, the motivation is money, John. That's yeah. what it's all about. You, look, unions represent only 6.1% of the private sector workforce today. That's down from about 20% in, in the private sector back in 1980. And so they're a business too, John. Organized labor is a big business. In fact, their revenues uh, top about $20 billion a year, and their product is basically selling unionization and getting people to pay them through dues to do their, you know, their work and then to use that money for politics and use that money for ideological causes, all kinds of interesting things but their their primary mechanism is their primary revenue is union dues well they do get a big chunk of money from the government too um, but that's another story for another day so so they've got to go out and unionize and what we found is their union organizing tactics aren't working anymore employers understand that they have to take care of their employees and they're doing that and that's why workers often say like the amazon workers in bessemer alabama when only 12 percent of the workers in that unit down there voted for unionization you know when asked why they didn't vote for they said, look, our employer takes care of us. We've got good benefits. We've got good pay. We like what we're doing. I mean, union officials can't brook that. So what do they have to do? They go back to government for increased powers over workers. So they're using the government as an organizing tool is what they're doing. Folks, again, with us is our friend Mark Mix, president, National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, had this uh, tremendous piece published in the Wall Street Journal under the, the title, Jennifer Abruzzo's Plan to Abolish Union Elections. Mark, what's been the reaction to your op-ed in the Wall Street Journal? Well, we've gotten lots of feedback, and, and obviously the Legal Defense Foundation continues to take phone calls from workers who, who find out about these deals and say, oh, my gosh, that's happening here. And so we're ready, and our 22 staff attorneys that provide free legal aid to workers is ready to answer any questions that a worker might have about what's coming or what's happening right now. In fact, you know, we're getting lots of calls from lots of workers across the country as, as the, the media focuses on the increase, the alleged increase in union certification elections across the country. Think Amazon, think Starbucks. And so we're getting lots of calls about that. We're getting, you know, the calls about COVID have kind of dissipated now for thankfully, and, uh, you know, the mandates there and all the other things. But the bottom line is we've got to continue to get the word out, John. And I thank you for the opportunity to talk about this to your audience, because it's important we keep track of what they're up to. I mean, they're in any given media day, any media cycle, there's always a, a news story that captivates the, the headlines. But yet, Throughout the entire day, throughout the weeks and the months ahead, there will be these types of stories, these kinds of stories that show what this administration is really trying to do behind the scenes. And this is one of those moments when we're trying to expose what this, this you know, union boss lackey uh, at the NLRB is trying to do to empower union officials to force more workers into unions. And it also, it just sounds as if she's trying to reverse the clock. She wants to go back and revisit various things and try to get them back into play. 
Yeah, that's right. You know, when, when, when the original labor policy was established back in the 1930s, it was extremely, and I say that word with emphasis, extremely favorable to union officials. It gave them the ability to force a worker to, to, force, to force a worker to join a union. You literally had to be forced to join a private organization, otherwise you couldn't work in a unionized setting. And then it went farther and it said, oh yeah, by the way, you could be forced to pay union dues and fees. It wasn't until 1963 in a case, Supreme Court case called General Motors, where the court looked at this privilege and this power and said, you know, oh my gosh, we probably went too far. We, we really shouldn't force workers to formally join a private organization, but we'll still force them to pay up to 100 percent of dues or fees to keep their jobs. In the context of all of that, um, we've, be, we've been able to litigate at the U.S. Supreme Court and federal courts to help protect workers from this type of coercion and force. We've also had a dual program at the Right to Work Committee to pass right to work laws. We have 27 states that have outlawed forced fees uh, for work um, based on a privilege, and I use that word accurately, a privilege granted by the federal government for states to pass right-to-work laws, which they're now trying to take away. There's a bill pending in the United States Senate right now that's already passed the House with no testimony, no committee hearings, that would repeal all 27 right-to-work laws in the country. So oh. that's a no- yeah, it's another program where they're trying to force more workers into unions. It just it, the, the story doesn't end, John. And before we let you go, I think what you really drill down on in this Wall Street Journal folks op-ed that, again, I read it during the week, I shared it on social media, but it's this whole business of the card check drives because what that does, the way I understand it, and the way you uh, beautifully illustrate it, 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 it basically takes away one's privacy in their personal nature and secrecy of the vote. That's not what they're looking for. They want everyone to vote along the way they want them to vote and they're willing to do it through intimidation. That's exactly right, and that's what the card check system is all about. And they want the employer not to be involved in any way, shape, or form, just to accept the results of how they obtain this quote, you know, support for a union. It's not support. We've had plenty, plenty of cases where workers have been, you know, reported back to us that you know three or four people show up on their porch at ten o'clock at night and say, "Sign the card." And even union officials, in a one of their organizing manuals, said, "Look, most employees, many employees, will just sign the card to get you to stand down and get you to go away." Because they're relying on a secret ballot vote sometime in the future. But if they take away that, then any type of intimidation, any time of coercion is in play and fair game when it comes to collecting these cards. And that's what the unions want is the ability to get just this free shot with no opposition to basically coerce and force individual employees to sign a card that is tantamount to voting for unionization. Folks, again, he is the president, National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. It's our friend Mark Mix. Mark, congratulations. Brilliant piece in the Wall Street Journal. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair-pricing, exceptional service, over 20 years' experience, specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating patios and much more call them today for a free quote 401-732-1730 j perry paving they are tremendous they also how about this once a month they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran and remember whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed call j perry paving for a free quote it makes a huge difference in your property in your home in your driveway or patio 401-732-1730 j perry paving 401-732-1730 you can also find them on facebook they're terrific hey get that driveway paved call and book an appointment now 401-732-1730 for j perry paving you're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Now, as you know, we've obviously been discussing everything uh, that's happening at the border, but more importantly, that's about to seemingly happen at the border. Joining us right now from our friends at FAIR, and that is Research Director Spencer Raleigh. Spencer, it is, um, it's actually daunting to think of what could happen starting in late May and for the summer as the Biden administration seems to be pivoting to just a complete open border. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we're looking right now, we just saw the uh, the apprehension numbers for March, and it was over 220,000, which is very close to the highest that we've ever seen in this country. It was only surpassed by a little bit in early 2000. Now, of those, a little over 100,000 were removed uh, under Title 42. 
and that's kind of been the norm. About half have been removed by Title 42 over the last couple of years. But that is ending in May. So what we're about to see is most of those individuals that are being removed from Title 42 are going to be released into the country. And that's something at this point Border Patrol will not be able to handle. They'll just have to release in individuals in the country not knowing where they're going uh not being able to give them notices to appear it, it's going to be it's going to be a major problem and let's uh, let's just back up and explain to people it was it was president trump that really ended the as they call it the catch and release uh and th- this happens where you know maybe they're they're brought in uh they never return to for their for the hearing uh the remain in mexico seemingly far more effective in the Biden administration. You even have Democrats, Spencer Riley, that are willing to step up and say, wait a minute, we, we have to come up with another plan instead of just ending Title 42. Right, right. Yeah, because I think it's very important to realize that what the Biden administration has done is they've not just unrolled everything that Trump did to get control of the southern border. They're going they're going much further. You know, we're seeing these encounters, these apprehensions uh, reach record numbers. We're seeing ICE being handcuffed. They're they're essentially not allowed to apprehend and deport the vast majority of illegal aliens. So when you combine that with, you know, nearly a quarter million people coming into the country every month, you're creating a crisis unlike any ever seen in the immigration sphere now there are a number of democrats that are coming out and at least showing concern about ending title 42 without something in place to kind of stem the 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 large number of individuals coming into the country but at the same time when i really look at what they're proposing it, it, it seems to be just your standard congressional, like we're putting on a show to pretend that we're concerned because they know what's coming in November. There's very little that actually holds the administration accountable, makes them actually uh, use other forms of removal that are at their disposal or actually re-implementing the Remain in Mexico uh, process, which, of course, was uh, reinstated by a judge. But at this point, the administration has only put a few hundred illegal aliens into that program so it's essentially still not being used so i think it's good that even democrats are starting to see the poll numbers they're starting to see that the american people don't support the biden administration on this topic but at the same time we got to continue to keep them accountable because at this point they're just uh they're just feigning concern and not really implementing real change folks again you're listening to the john DePedro show with us is spencer raleigh from fair research director and and spencer just to give people an idea i mean the amount of encounters i believe in the month of march it's it's really frightening when you think about it and what people also need to realize is as you know late spring uh may into june and then summertime that that's really so to speak like the busy peak travel season so these two things combining the fact that so many started coming over when just the fact that president biden was in office you, you could see unprecedented uh, demand of people just showing up at the border. And the frightening thing is here is it's the Biden administration policies that would there'd be nothing to prevent them from entering the country. Right. And that's I think that's the biggest concern, because even if we look in the past when some of the apprehension numbers were nearly as high as they are now, uh, most of those individuals were apprehended they were either returned immediately or they were kept in uh you know in processing facilities or given ntas in the rare cases that they were released in the country the biden administration policy once title 42 is ended is with the exception of a very small number i'm talking less than five percent of those that are entering the country illegally each month they will be released into the country undetained and you know this is still during a time period where the our uh, our economy is recovering from the COVID 19 pandemic there's still a lot of restrictions and you know individuals are still re-entering the workforce it's going to be a major hit to our economy with illegal alien with criminal illegal aliens i mean being allowed to be apprehended or deported there's a certain element of you know criminality that we have to be concerned about as well and of course we just you know saw the news stories of more than a dozen uh individuals crossing the border were app or uh apprehended with ties to terrorism so all of these are things that should concern 
serving the American people. We should be using our honorable members of the Border Patrol to allow them to do their job and apprehend and remove these individuals uh, from the border. And, of course, that has to be coupled with removing the incentives for illegal immigration in the first part, in the first place. And the Biden administration is just not doing that. They're adding more. They want more illegal immigration in the United States. And, and Spencer, what are some of the things that fear would advocate for that will play in with some of those in Congress? Well, well, the first thing that really needs to happen, because we saw it implemented, we know it works, is the Remain in Mexico program needs to be fully re-implemented, as well as the agreements with third countries in the northern triangle. Essentially, those that are wanting to come to the United States claiming asylum, they should be seeking that in the first safe country. They should not be asylum shopping their way to their preferred location. Individual And, and the, again, those individuals should be required in many instances, especially when we are are pretty sure that their asylum claims are bogus, as most are, more than 90%, they should be required to stay in Mexico. Because when that was required under the Trump administration, it, it, it kept individuals from being incentivized to filing bogus claims, knowing they'd be released in the country. And more importantly, that allowed us to focus on the asylum applications that we knew were probably valid. We're talking individuals that are coming from you know war-torn countries, even Ukraine, areas like that. What the, the individuals that really end up hurting uh, in the middle of all this are those that we actually need to be helping. So that, that's the first thing that really needs to happen. And like I mentioned, we need to cut off some of the magnets for illegal immigration, You know, whether that's seriously entertaining, uh, implementing a mandatory form of E-Verify, where workers or employers have to verify that whoever they're hiring is uh, lawfully permitted to work in the United States. And of course, also just allowing ICE to do their job, to act those that are in the country without authorization, process them, and ultimately remove them. Folks, again, we're speaking with Spencer Riley. And, and Spencer, what so far, before I let you go, uh, any hint of what the Biden administration may, may do on this? Because th this will garner, I mean, you're talking about an unpopular president, and it, it already is garnering a lot of attention. They, they have to react to rescinding Title 42. Well, at this point, we just saw a budget proposal for DHS that was released recently. And essentially what they are asking for, it, it, on the surface, it looked good. But, of course, we know there's an ulterior motive because we saw hiring more Border Patrol agents, you know, putting up cameras and border security methods. But when we actually looked at the line by line, these weren't individuals to apprehend and remove illegal aliens. These were individuals whose jobs are to act as kind of a welcoming committee. They encounter these illegal aliens, process them into the country, and, you know, just try to get them through that process as fast as possible. Because what the Biden administration doesn't want are pictures of kids in cages like we saw all over the last few years. It's not that they're trying to keep those individuals from coming in the first place. They just want to process them as fast as possible. They want to continue this kind of fundamental restructuring of American society. And, yeah, it's not it's not resounding with the American public, but this really seems like a hill that the Biden administration is willing to die on, just continuing to encourage more illegal immigration in the United States. And instead of trying to deter it, just processing those individuals in as fast as possible. Folks, again, it is Spencer Riley of the Brothers Disposal. Call Brothers Disposal today. Get a purple dumpster for your driveway. How do you know it's Brothers Disposal? Because it's a purple dumpster. Look for them on Facebook and give them a call for an estimate, 401 688 Get a dumpster in your driveway. Maybe you're cleaning out your basement, your garage, unwanted belongings. Maybe you just have some things in boxes that you've never taken out. Clean it out with Brothers Disposal. They're also now offering weekly trash collection services. Call Brother Roland today at Brothers Disposal, 401 688-0517. Whether it's a small household construction project or you just need a dumpster to get rid of some unwanted belongings, call Brothers Disposal today. Come on, brother. Call Brothers Disposal, 401-688-0517. Look for them on Facebook, Brothers Disposal. Get a dumpster in your driveway, 401-688-0517. Portion of the program brought to you by the Kui Sit in Check them out on the website, dipetro.com, the Kuisidin or Rhode Island tradition, 
since 1977, located 226 Cohesett Avenue in West Warwick, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge, whether a nice dinner or even just appetizers. There's always a great crowd. You can link directly to them, and gift certificates are available. The Cohesett Inn, 226 Cohesett Avenue in West Warwick. We're speaking with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Dan McGowan, why, first of all, you know, it's interesting we said those guys because then you think of it. You know, there's Michael Sabatoni, white male, Stephen Pryor, white male, Dan McKee, white male. Granted, Mayor Lorza, the developer who I, I his whole speech about, hey, you know, give me this deal so I can take my mother to lunch on Federal Hill, I thought was, was pretty lame. Dan McGowan, why, why I, I, maybe, I don't know what it is. There's something, why do I think this, this project is just never happening? I, I just, I, I just think there's too many things in play. The money is way too much. Um, the, the the ability of cost overruns. It's uh, you know if if you're the new governor coming in because I don't think this thing is going to happen between now and the primary, and I'm not convinced that McKee is going to the primary. What what why? I just have this feeling this thing is it's I've seen this kind of movie before. It's it's I just think it's never going to happen. It's a it's a really reasonable thought, and here's why. <laughs> it, it's not. There are so many parts of this that are still kind of moving around. You know, they wanted to have a big announcement for two reasons, because the governor wants to take everybody's yes. focus. Oh, off I of, get that. No you know, question. And, and Stephen Pryor is still very publicly thinking about running for treasurer. He wants to, you know, be able to say, hey, look, I got this thing done. Right. So that's why they they announced it at this point and you know that gives the council enough time to kind of negotiate what they need to do it gives the state leaders lots of time to you know figure out all the bills that whatever bill needs to be passed whatever it puts everything in place but i think it's completely reasonable i'm a little surprised to be honest with you that we aren't seeing any of the democratic candidates for governor come out and be critical of it you have seen that in the mayor's right. race in providence you know, Gonzalo Cuervo has been, you know, kind of stood out. It's given him a little bit of a platform to, you know, nobody knows who these guys are. Uh, it gives them a chance to kind of you know, come out and say, hey, this isn't, uh, you know, this is something that we should take a longer look at, things like that. I've been surprised by that. And you're right. I think, you know, those those two concerns that I listed off when I say, in, you know, interest rates going up, we're already starting to see that. And the potential for a recession, I mean, Experts far smarter than me are, are very much predicting that that could happen. And those things would, you know, would obviously kind of crater this deal. Um, I do think that there is, you know, there's the will of, you know, you've got a speaker who wants to get this done. You have a Senate president who wants to get this done. So I think there is certainly a chance there. They wouldn't announce it if this wasn't something that at least was moving along. But uh, there's a whole lot of things that can happen before we actually see people in that living in that building. What four years from now, folks? Again, we're speaking with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe, and uh, Dan McGowan. Let's shift into a little bit of the uh, the the especially the, the the race for governor right now. Um, I, I mean, I think you're noticing Governor McKee. Uh, there's no there was no press conference. Two weeks ago, he, he seems to be limiting his appearances to when he's announcing something. And yep. any idea if that dynamic is going to change? I don't think it will. I, I think, you know, what you're going to see is he realizes, you know, every couple of weeks, somebody says to him, hey, we should probably have a press conference because, you know, we committed to doing that. And I do think once in a while you'll start to you'll, you'll see him, you know, do some sort of uh, question and answer. But remember it's mid to late April. Now you're going to see in no time, first of all, it's going to be the summer. So, you know, most of us are going to be kind of checked out. Certainly, you know, the average resident's going to be thinking about the beach, things like that. He's going to be, you know, getting deep into campaign mode. So he's going to want to uh, use that bully pulpit that he has to announce things, but he's going to want to stay far away from having to take, you know, a hundred different questions on, you know, only things that are going to make him uncomfortable. So I think it is a deliberate decision to not be, um, to not be doing this. They also, you know, quite honestly, they just don't have that much to say right now. Right. You know, the, the one thing that you and I used to talk about this a lot with Gina Raimondo, I know very well. I mean, she was demanding to, to her staff to say, when I go up there on stage, I need to have something new to announce every yeah. single time. 
you know, he, Dan McKee just doesn't have a lot to announce and to promote. And the more that happens, the more you get, right. You, you get, you know, the hard questions from all the TV reporters, then you get, you know, a few of the kind of the activist journalists to trip you up. Uh, and, and by the way, all fair, reasonable questions, but this is how it works, right? You get a lot of people to, you know, come in with just whatever's on their mind today. And the governor is not quite as quick on his on his feet as I think Agina Raimondo was, who would, you know, brush people off. You know, she could be very offensive at times, but she had sort of a way to be able to kind of realize I can I can handle, you know, the the blogger in the corner or, you know, or Dan McGowan or whoever. Dan McKee's not as good at that. He's just, he just, he gets a little confrontational. He, you know, he thinks everyone's out to get him, everyone in the media, I should say. Um, and so I think that's why you're going to see him continue to limit it. I think the question we're all wondering is uh, the big one is channel 12. I'm, I'm so interested to see how a channel 12 debate works. And, you know, is he, is he potentially considering not going to a debate right. because he's so upset with them i think that would be a a fatal mistake for his campaign but i i'd be surprised if this isn't something that he's at least thinking about folks again we're speaking with dan mcgowan of the boston globe and and i'm glad you just mentioned that because at what point do the tv stations make the decision that they're going to have to try to do a a democrat gubernatorial debate without him yeah because in the past you know may they'd be at the ppac June, they'd certainly by June they'd be at the PPAC. Absolutely. Um, I just don't, Dan McGovern. Let's be real. I, I don't see how right now you have a, a sitting governor, and I don't know if everyone fully absorbs this, but he he, I don't want to say he's unable to sit down for a television interview, but he he doesn't want to do it in an interview right now because of this FBI probe. He's, you know, they're somehow waiting for the dust to clear. It's it's un, it's not going to clear. This is going to be going on for quite some time. I, I just I think he's going to put it off, put it off. But there's a very good chance that he is not going on a Channel 12 stage to, to do the debate. I, I, I believe and from what I hear, he, he he almost and I think he's wrong in this, but he kind of blames the FBI probe on the investigative work of your former colleagues. Yeah, he, he there's no question that he does blame them. And and I think, uh, yeah, th- this is a huge problem because. It, it, you know, the, the thing that you're, you're dancing with here is the between like does the, do the debates actually change the public's mind? I think we could, you know, unless you have a huge blow up or unless you just completely, you know, the David Cicilline over Brendan Doherty, you know, you just clean up, you know, and you know, even the Republicans knew there was a decisive winner in that race. You know, you could argue these things aren't the, the most pressing thing. You can't no show though, yeah. because suddenly that's a national story, right? Right. Suddenly the 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 democratic you know the democratic governors association is is saying what you know what's going on here? How could you yeah. skip you know the 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 kind of the leading political stations uh, debate? You know, you've got lots of problems there, and I mean the thing about this is it's going to get worse for Demicky because the only person going up on air right now is the Republican Ashley Callis. That's right. Uh, you're going to see the others go up soon too. And it's going to be negative when it comes to, you know, going after the, 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 the sitting governor. So he's going to be even more on the hot seat in the next 90 days. Um, I'm stunned actually that you're not seeing the Democrats on air yet uh, because I think nobody knows who they are at this point. Right, Folks, we're going to take a quick break. Much more Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe right here on the John DePietro show. We're speaking with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, uh, I, I don't know where this whole case against Alex Jones and Infowars is going to go, but I, I think when all is said and done, you know, Alex Jones, Infowars, almost be described as before Sandy Hook and Newtown, Connecticut, and then and then the afterwards. Uh, there's seemingly now each each week there's developments with the story. Uh, the way I read it, none of it good for. Alex Jones, starting with bankruptcy protection, uh, legal fees being demanded, and he may, I mean, you tell me, he may have thought he was able to maybe hide and, and take away or, or got rid of some of the money that InfoWars had, and it's, it shows that by doing this type of broadcast and 
you know, just the type that he does, it's it can be lucrative, but it's a steep price to pay when you end up in court. These fam- these families, to me, seem to be, for the time being, in the driver's seat, and he has no exit ramp to get off this, this ride right now. John, that's a very good way to put it. He really doesn't have a good exit ramp to get away from this. He's not going to wriggle off of this um, particular problem that he's got. He has not personally gone bankrupt yet. He has put some of his corporate entities into bankruptcy. And one of the corporate entities he put in, from what I understand, is a trust from which monies would be paid out to the victims. I believe he put something like $750,000 into this trust and there would be other monies available in there. But that is amongst the entities that he has pushed into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So he remains outside of the bankruptcy court jurisdiction. But when an individual files for Chapter 7 or Chapter 13 protection, or when a corporation files for Chapter 11 protection, something happens which is called the automatic stay in bankruptcy. A stay means stop. So when the automatic stay issues out of the bankruptcy court, any of these state or federal court civil causes of action are frozen. They can't move forward until the bankruptcy court makes determinations as to the legitimacy of the bankruptcy filing, whether it's in good faith, whether it's fraudulent, uh, whether it meets the standards for a bankruptcy petition. So Alex Jones, if nothing else, is buying time. Um, it's, It's thought in many circles that what he's doing is akin to what, let's say, the Boy Scouts did. The Boy Scouts organization filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and it allows for a streamlining and, in many cases, a lesser amount to be paid to victims. Um, In the Boy Scout case, it was obviously allegations that um, the kids in, in Boy Scouts, in many cases, were being subjected to inappropriate sexual contact with adults, for which they're they're looking for money damages, that's all grinding its way through under the um, auspices of the bankruptcy court. I think Alex Jones is looking for something of the same. Now, if Alex Jones should file for uh, Chapter 7 bankruptcy protection, or he could do a personal 11 reorganization, he does have problems because one of the... um, particulars in bankruptcy court is not all debts are dischargeable. Now, in an 11, he may not be, his corporations aren't looking for an out-and-out discharge, but a way to pay less and to pay it over time. But for Alex Jones, amongst things that you can't discharge typically in bankruptcy, we know that student loans are not dischargeable. Certain state and federal tax obligations are not dischargeable. Um, damages that you cause another as a result of criminal conduct are not dischargeable. And there's an exception to discharge for willful and malicious injury by the debtor to another. So I think that if these families, if Alex Jones does file for bankruptcy protection for himself, these families can chase him into the bankruptcy court saying, you can't discharge any debt that you owe to us because this is all as a result of your willful and malicious conduct. And we've received, we've been injured because of your willful and malicious conduct. So he, he's, he's not going to get out of this. He's not going to get out of this. And I think these families are bound and determined to get their day in court yep. and to squeeze every dollar they can out of him because they can't get their children back. Uh, the only measuring stick we have for any type of personal injury, death cases and the like is money damages. And this guy has behaved in such an outrageously offensive manner. I am sure these families would be pleased to take every nickel from him, not because they're looking for the money, but to punish him for the outrageous conduct that he's participated in. Folks, again, we're speaking with our uh, legal analyst, attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, as far as Alex Jones, is 
is it fair to say that this could be a long drawn out where, you know, again, he has the right to try different legal maneuvers, but I, I just get the sense that these parents are not going away. He's, he's uh, dealing with the courts in Connecticut. Uh, this is not a matter of, you know, someone who ignores a letter that arrives in the mail. They're, he can try a lot of different tricks. They're, they're not going away. And I think one of the problems is he's he's a public individual. It's not some business guy who then just, you know, goes off somewhere and tries to. I mean, he's trying to run a business and, and do all these shows on his channel Infowars. I, I guess the big question, and I don't know the answer, is. If, if you take Alex Jones personally and whatever his interest is financially in his various corporate entities, if you cashed him out yeah. personally and with all his business interests, what is he worth? I have, right. I have really no idea. I haven't seen anything in print they, as to that speculation. That he, he withdrew $18 million, um, from and from InfoWars to put into these you know, different, whether it's accounts or trusts, whatever it is. So there's, there's real money there. And if it's in the trust, and the tr- and if it's in the trust, and if the trust has gone bankrupt, you know that's a long play to try to gain some control through the bankruptcy court as to when the money gets paid out to creditors, how it gets paid, and whether there's any discount to be taken because it may well be that the money that he has to pay out exceeds the value of his estate, if you will, okay. if he's worth 20 million and there's a judgment judgments against him for 50 million, mm. um, you know, there, is there a pro rata distribution? Uh, that's yeah. something that the bankruptcy court would have to work out. Folks, another quick break, much more ahead. Our legal analyst attorney, Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro show. Portion of the John DePietro show brought to you by the lodge pub and eatery. Stop in and see them, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. You know, delicious food inside the Lodge Pub and Eatery, a tradition since 1994. Also, check out the beautiful new deck that they've added. Hey, they're going to have some nice seating out there, and also they'll do the igloos. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. You're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Check out the website, dipietro.com. We have original, unique, exclusive stories, videos, content, all our links to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. It's all right there, and that's also the best way to reach me. Log on at the website, dipietro.com, dipietro.com to check out our website dipetro.com dipetro.com which is sponsored by and brought to you by the Senadale Revival Comfort Food and Cocktails located 2025 Smith Street in North Providence Shane and his crew what a wonderful job they've done winner of several Rhode Island Best of Awards Best of Rhode Island Awards the Senadale Revival delicious food cocktails a lot of fun stop in and see them 2025 Smith Street in North Providence into brood awakenings and discover the brood difference two locations in johnston also in cranston pontiac avenue and then also bald hill road in warwick brood awakenings they're local fresh ingredients cozy environment great comfortable chairs delicious breakfast sandwiches lunch great drinks and coffee and plenty room to spread out and meet people i'll see you and you'll discover the brood difference at brood awakenings